Romans, <laughs> chapter 7 and 8 some today. So let me read Romans 7, 1 through 13 to kind of get us caught up, or at least uh, not caught up, but figure out where we're at. So Romans 7, I'll read 1 through 13. Released from the law, it says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by, her, by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from, what the, from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. <coughs> I, once was, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved death to be death to me, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Okay, so... Paul is using an illustration, just quickly, Paul is using an illustration of the law of marriage, also known as the law of the husband, to describe, to help the audience understand that law is only good as far to you as, as far as you're alive. And so the law of marriage is an example of how the woman would be um, released from the law of being to her husband when he dies. When he dies, then she's released from that contract or that covenant or that marriage vows. Um, and in the same way, Paul is saying we have been released because we died to our sin nature. Because we died to our sin nature, the sin nature no longer has any authority over us, no longer has any law-carrying um, authority over us. It doesn't have to reign within us. Um, so we find out that um, the purpose of the law was to show what sin is, right? Remember we talked about how it's basically just a flashlight. All it does is just expose, the law is just exposes to you the sin that you have. So it shows what sin is. It was to make one sin more. Um, we talked about how Paul once was alive and then he became, then sin came, he became aware of sin and then it killed him essentially, right? Um, 
So the very commandment, so he's basically saying that there's been a misunderstanding of the law, right? The law was supposed, in that time, the law was supposed to bring righteousness, make people be righteous, right? That's what the whole Pharisaical teaching was, to be like the Pharisees. They were supposed to be the example of how to live. By living that way, God would be pleased. But Paul is saying, no, the law doesn't do that. The law, in fact, can't do that. In fact, the law makes you sin even more. The more you know, the more you sin, right? Um, and so it's a, dece it's a deceiver, right? It deceives you and then it kills you. But it isn't the law that it is. What, what is it? It's your own sin, right. right? All the law is doing is saying, you have this sin. Let me show you. Read this. You're going to find out how sinful you are because you are, the law says don't covet, and you're going to find out you're a coveter. And in fact, if it suggests that you're a coveter, you're going to be like, oh, I feel like I should go covet, or I feel like I should go envy, or I feel like I should go do these things, right? Because it arouses in you the sin nature to break the law, right? To do those things which are against God, like murder, lie, be it, you know, um, all, all, the, all the commandments that are there. And so it's a deceiver because it promises the law is not the deceiver, your sin is the deceiver, right? So what Paul is saying here is that the law is there to expose to yourself what sin is. All the law does is list what sin is, basically. And so now you're aware of your sin. And even so, even more so, the sin nature is aroused, like he said. It's, it's once it finds out that, oh, that's what sin is, I want to do that even more, right? That's your sin nature within you. Um, so, but he says, so is the law sin? And he says, no, the law is holy and righteous and good. Because without the law, you wouldn't need to ask for forgiveness. You wouldn't need repentance. You wouldn't need a savior, right? The law, our view of the law should be the law is... Is a, is a gift from God because it exposes our sin, therefore exposes our need for a Savior. Otherwise, we would just die in our sin. The wages of sin is death, and we would be to dead, right? So to us, it's a gift. It's good. It's righteous. It's holy because it lets us know that we need a Savior, right? It's not the law that causes death. It's the actual sin. Yeah? Good? Okay. So now let's, let's start on... I don't think we finished 13, so I'll just go through that. Read verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me uh, through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Right. So, to again, the, the true purpose or the true character or the intention the plan, the design of the law, was to expose the sinfulness of sin, that it's utterly sinful, right? That sin is utterly sinful. Um, verse 12 tells us it's holy. Verse 13 gives us that possible objection, like, well, then, is that which is good then brings me death, right? Um, the law is good, but when it comes to exposing sin, the sin brings death. So is that which is good bring death to man? Paul uses the same term, right? That very strong uh, term, by no means. God forbid. May it never be, right? Um, the strongest sort of renouncement of it. Um, it is not, so the conclusion, it is not the law 
that causes death. It is sin that causes death, right? The commandments only make sin become utterly sinful. Because the sin nature is now, like I said, able to use that law as a basis for rebellion, right? Which condemns you and increases your sin. Are you following that? <laughs> for temptation, I need God, right? Yeah. So I can handle anything but temptation. And this is the, that saying has come to mind as we read this passage that, like, the sin is sitting there, and then the law just brings it temptation. And so it's kind of lying dormant, but then when the law, the temptation to go sin, where the sin just can't not do it, it's right. like, I gotta go do this now. Right. Because I see things that I can't do. Right. I got because now I'm tempted to go be bad. Yes, that's exactly right. Like we said, something as simple as don't walk on the grass, you feel like, what up? Yeah. <laughs> Is anybody around? Let me go see what that really means, you know? Okay. Very good. That's a good application of it. That's right. Okay. So now we're on to self and the law, 14 through 25. So he's going to discuss the relationship of the self and the law. Um, his basic point is that uh, on the basis of the law, no one can actually gain favor with God, right? Because you're operating on this sense of self, and self is aroused by the law to do more law to, or to do more sin. So no one can gain favor by, by following the basis of the law. Believers who try to live their spiritual lives in the power of the flesh will fail. That's kind of what you're talking about right there, Matt. Um, so Paul's going to share his own experiences, actually. Um, he's going to prove the impossibility of sanctification, right? Becoming more and more like Christ moment by moment. He's going to prove that following the law or the works of the law cannot sanctify you. He's going to speak about himself a lot personally here. It's kind of very interesting. Um, and he's not going to mention the Holy Spirit at all. Because um, he's showing the futility of trying to accomplish sanctification under the power of the flesh, right? Um, like we said, the law is useless and powerless to deliver you. All it's there is it, it can't deliver you from sin, um, even for us or believers who have been born again in the newness of life, that the law can't, do, can't deliver you from sin. Flip over to uh, Galatians 5. 16 through 18. It's the same point, but it's in a concise little summary of what he's going to be talking about. Uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. And it's kind of a good summary of what we're going to be going, he's going to elaborate more on in this next section. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so back over to Romans. So we see that that idea, right? <clears throat> you have this war w w waging within you. You have a desire of the flesh 
it's against the spirit, and the desire of the spirit is against the flesh. It's this war, right? The conflict between the sin nature and the new nature trying to gain control over you. That's basically the I, that's what we have to have in our mindset that we have an old self and a new self. We've only we've been awakened, we've been renewed, we've been brought to life before we were dead in our old self, our old nature, but now we have this newness and we now have this this conflict. The very fact that you have conflict should tell you something. What do you think that that tells you? That you're saved, right? You have assurance of salvation by the very fact of having conflict, right? Because the Holy Spirit is in you, dwelling in you, and you have your old nature and your new nature at war. It's telling you within yourself that that battle is evidence of the Holy Spirit in you. That's evidence of your salvation. It's evidence of your, your justification, your sanctification, and your future glorification. It's just that conflict. That battle alone is assurance of salvation. That's an interesting way to look at the battle, right? But it, it gives you the peace that you know that the Holy Spirit is in you and you're struggling. That struggle is evidence of a newness in you. Yeah? Okay, so Paul's going to teach um, three things regarding the believer who tries to be sanctified by the law. This is from 14 to 25. So first, the believer is a slave, right? We thought, wait a second, I thought we weren't slaves. Second, he is powerless. And third, he is in constant conflict. So all three points are going to be illustrated by his own confessions, his own personal confessions of his own life and his experience of what he has experienced himself. So the believer as a slave, verses 14 through 17. The believer who tries to attain sanctification by keeping the law becomes a slave to sin again. Um, so read verse 14, if you would. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Right, so he's telling them something they already knew, the reader something they already knew, that the Mosaic law was spiritual. It was spiritual because God gave the law. It came from God. God is spirit, right? The law is spiritual. Um, it was produced by the spirit. Um, so he declares that the law is spiritual. He already said it's good, holy, and righteous. But then he says, but I, right, I am of the flesh, sold under sin, Right? So rather than being spiritual of God, he is of the flesh, sold into the bondage of sin. He was trying to live the spiritual life under the strength of what? His flesh, right? His old flesh, trying to live that spiritual life with his old flesh. Yet his flesh sold him right back into the bondage of sin, right? And the sin nature said, yes, come on, come on back, we'll take it, you know? The result was he was once again a slave to sin. Now look at his self-reflection. And it, obviously this applies to all of us, but look at his self-reflection in verses 15 and 16, if you'd, if you'd read that. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Right, so... He's not, I mean, how true is that, right? How true is that for ourselves, right? We have this desire, we have this notion, we want to please God, we want to do the right thing, but we don't do that thing. He's not describing himself as two separate people. 
right? He's describing himself as one person with two separate natures in him, right? Two natures that are within him at war, at conflict with himself, right? The first nature he inherited. We all inherited, right? We inherited it from Adam. Um, and then with that inherited sin or that imputation of sin, we then commit individual sins as a result of having that sin within us, right? That sin nature causes us to sin individually. So the second nature is the one he received when he was born again, right? When upon salvation or justification. Um, before he was justified, before you were justified, you only had one nature. And that was your old nature, right? That was the sin nature. There was no competition. But now that he has that new nature, there's a struggle, and it's a comp competing struggle, and it's battling within him, within us. So he makes a confession. Read verse 17, if you would. So now it is no longer I who want. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. That's sin that dwells in me. So pay attention. What, what did he do? He separated himself from sin, right? He distinguishes himself between self and sin, right? He says, I, so he's saying the new man that was in Christ, that's justified, um, is distinguished from this sin. Um, so he's committing himself to do what he did not want to do, right? He's confessing that. He, I, the new person, still do the, old, the things of the, sin, of the sin nature, so it's dwelling within me. So we're seeing that we have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we have the dwelling of the sin nature within us. Um, a, a principle was working within him that's opposing his true desires. He's desiring, and I suppose all of us here, are desiring to please God. That's We want to please God with our lives. It gives us joy, gives us peace. We want to please him for all the things he's done for us. And the position that we have, we want to live up to it. But we have this sin nature in us conflicting and battling and waging war with us. And so he's saying, and it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He's separating the two, right? So this indwelling sin nature is a tyrant, right? It's compelling Paul to do the things that he doesn't want to do against his better judgment, against what his new nature is. Um, so if we, if we learn that if believers, if we try to live our lives by the flesh, the works of the flesh, meaning trying to follow the works of the law, what happens, we lose. We lose that battle because the law or uh, the consciousness of the law or right or wrong is powerless to do those things within us. All they do is expose it, right? All they do is bring to light what it is. They don't provide the power that you need to overcome that. Therefore, you're a slave to the sin nature because you are a sinner, right? Okay, so now we even more so, um, the believer is powerless. Read, uh, so verses 18 and 20, 18 through 20. Um, read 18a, if you would. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So he says he has a new nature, but he said nothing good dwells in me, right? That is in my flesh, right? He said the sin nature still dwelled in him. Now he confirms this by saying nothing good dwells in him. The sin nature within him, right? And the proof of the battle is 18b and 19. Go ahead and read that. 
for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Is what I keep on doing, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. You're, you're gonna see you're gonna see his exasperation in a moment, right? So he's emphasizing the negative side of things, right? In a sense that he does the things he doesn't want to do, but he does them anyways, right? He wanted to be totally devoted to God. He desperately wants to do the right thing, yet he found that he was incapable of doing it, right? I do not have the ability, right? But not the ability to carry it out. He's not saying the believer can do no good. Rather, he's saying that the old sin nature, the flesh, cannot do anything good. So as a believer, he has the will and the motivation to do the right thing, but he finds himself without power and even incapable of doing it, right? If, if we're honest with ourselves, we should have that same understanding about ourselves, right? We really should. He has another conclusion. Read verse 20, if you would. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Right, so he, he distinguishes himself again between himself and sin, um, and he's basically confessing, I have no power over myself and the sin that's in me, right? That's what he's saying. If I, now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He's just, he's, he's just explaining this mess, this battle that is within us. Um, so he's proving the fact that he is in bondage to sin in spite of being born again, in spite of that desire. He doesn't have the power again to break himself out of that bondage of sin. We talked about when you're justified, the gates open, right? The prison doors are open we put ourselves back in there, right? And, and nobody locks it, we lock it. You know, we close it and we hold it. And we're like, no, I'm not getting out of here, you know? Okay, so there's this conflict, obviously, right? So the believer's conflict, C, 21 through 25. So he's gonna have another co conversation or a personal confession discussion. So he recognizes this governing battle within his life in verse 21. Uh, I just don't wanna move off these verses just yet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there are verses that just are uh, some of the cornerstone of stuff that I've lived for most of my life. Uh, so, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, great family, loved Jesus, loved by my parents, all that stuff, and yet my behaviors in my 20s, the people of my church, all that stuff, they wanted nothing to do with me because there was absolutely nothing in my life that matched anything that I even thought I believed. Yeah. Because there, I could not get anything to line up in action. And so when I found recovery and got into this stuff, there was a new alignment in life that came in where what I said I believed, I was able to have life actions match what I said I believed, for the most part. Um, and it all came to like, okay, this is all true and I know this, but how do I tap into it? Like, how do I start to live life where I'm not ruled by the desires of my flesh 
and instead get to walk out living not under the bondage of self but living in victory and and I'm sure that he'll get to it in the eight. I should know what eight says, but it says life in the spirit of title. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure he'll get to where victory comes from. Um, but I would hate to move beyond this section uh, and just focus on this. Oh, we're just living in bondage. Where it's like, no, there's there's a there's a way to have victory, and that way is through surrender. And as soon as as soon as I grab a hold of this truth that there's like 18, there's nothing that in me, there's nothing good that dwells in me. And it doesn't say there's a little bit of good in me and I have a hard time getting it, it's nothing. So I bring as much to the table in my ability to do goodness on any level as I bring to the table for salvation, which is nothing. I'm dead to my transgressions, is that the right? Right, and so I'm dead, dead, dead. I bring zero, and if I want to have victory in any of these areas, whether for me early in life it was alcohol, smoking, and things like that, or now if I see myself like poking at my wife, I'm like, no, that's not nice. <laughs> well, why do I still do it if I know it's not nice? Because I'm gonna throw one more barb in there, like, oh, that's so nice. Like, <laughs> if I want to have victory over these things, it's never going to be me looking in the mirror and being like, Matt, you shouldn't do that anymore. It's always going to be like. God, help me see what it is that I need to feel better about myself by giving jabs to my wife. If this ain't the way I want to live, God, yeah. help me, right? Right. I thought so, you were talking about poking, like you're playing. Well, and, and <laughs> I, 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 that that could be too. I think when you say something, because I, I said something to my husband about a week ago, and as soon as it came out, I'm like, <gasps> Why did I say that? No. I, I instantly knew I shouldn't have said it. I don't know why I said it. So maybe it's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> right. Well, what, well, that's evidence, right, that there's a conflict within you. There's evidence that you want to do it, but then you're like, oh, my gosh, that just came out so, it's so natural. It <laughs> so, right. yeah. so do you think that um, non-Christians, non-believers, they have a conscience? They do. To feel bad about something when they do something wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But they justify They justify it, but I know a lot of people that are, aren't really nice people. Our society that, has a nice moral code to it. Right, exactly. And the moral code of society can bring its own guilt and shame about how I behave, that I gotta be in the societal norm and stuff like that. I think the variance maybe what we wrestle with, what I wrestle with is like, I'm not being Christless. I'm not being right. a husband that I'm promised to be where I stood in front of God and man and said I was gonna be this man. Like it's a different type of gotcha. wrestling of who I wanna be in Christ as opposed to the moral code of society. Yeah, because they don't answer to God. Yeah. They don't even acknowledge God. Right. So therein lies, you have to answer I mean, you know, you, you've got the Holy Spirit that is in you, and you're going through a sanctification process. They're not. They're under condemnation. They don't even know it. There's well, their, their good works are not good. <clears throat> like, like we said, if you help old ladies across the street before you're a believer, great, nice for you, you know. God doesn't look at that as being a good work. It isn't until you become saved 
that the good works are good, according to him, right? He's a definer of a good work. So the motivation or the intention or the morality or the, uh, the teaching of our society to do good things are just that. They're the praise of men, essentially, right? Oh, you, you, there was a lady here a few weeks ago and she, I was just messing around with cats and she really took it as, what, what do you mean by cats, you know? Saving cats out of trees and she has a cat rescue, you know? And so on the surface, her, her, all the people around her, I'm, I'm not judging her at all, but all people around her as an, as an illustration, all people around her say, wow, what a wonderful woman. She's rescuing cats off the street, right? But if she's doing that under the power of herself, there's no value to God at all because it's, you get the praises of men. Great, you know, great job. But that doesn't mean anything when you go to meet your maker, right? And so it only, it only becomes good when you do it through the power of the Holy Spirit within you, right? That's it. That's the only time it is actually good. And that's, that's, that's to your point that that's, Paul, Paul is saying you, now that you're, remember the whole argument is now that you're justified, how do you be sanctified? Is it by following the law? No. The same exact point you said, Matt, is that the same faith that it took for you to be justified, meaning that you said it's, it's, you know, believing that Christ died, a Christ came to this earth immaculately, died on the cross, was buried, rose again. By faith, you're believing those things that it's nothing, right? There's nothing, plus nothing. No good works, no awakening, no, you know, going to church every day or praying or tithing or any of those things give you justification. Sanctification is the exact same faith. You cannot do anything. You're powerless to do it. In fact, not only are you powerless, you have this desire to poke. Like, why do I got to poke? Why do I got to say that? But I say it anyways, you know, even though I have this in me. So that's his point in coming along is because remember, remember we, when we went over Galatians, there's all these Judaizers, right? They would follow Paul and say, okay, yeah, you're justified, but now you got to follow the law to be sanctified, right? To be righteous. And he's saying, no, no, no. Every time you try to do that, you're going to fail. You can't. It just exposes and it just brings out and causes arousal in you to do more, right? And so here we are. He has this another confession because he's saying what read read verse 21 so i find this law at work when i want to do good evil is right there with me right there with me mine says evil lies close at hand philippians just on a side note so i find it a law right he's saying i find it a law meaning it's absolute that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, right? Close at hand literally means at hand. It's like right here, right? Yes. Philippians 4 talks about being, how, do you, how are you um, content, right? Paul's talking about how he has learned to be content in his life. And the way that he knows to be content is by what? Does anybody know? Is it to think on these things? Pastor? Right around there, right around there, buddy. Keep going, keep going. Yet, 
it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my need once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm not trying to, I'm trying to find the part where it says, oh, um, yes, it's Philippians 4, 5. So re rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the whole, the whole point is, Paul here is saying in Romans 7.21, I find it be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. It's at hand. He's saying here, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Do not be anxious about anything because the Lord is at hand. Right? It's, it's the idea that your power, the, the evil is at hand and the Lord is at hand, meaning he's there, like right with you. Right? Evil is right with you, but the Lord is at hand. And, and remember, it's near, it's, it's right here. Remember when Christ was talking, when he was proclaiming the, the message, just started his ministry, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning it's right here. I am, right? He's saying, I am that kingdom of God. Paul here is saying, I've learned to be content in all things and not be anxious for anything because the Lord is at hand. He's right here. In our mind's eye, we can see that the Lord is here. Here in verse 21, he's saying, I find it to be a law that the evil is at hand. It's here, right? But the Lord is at hand as well. And so that's what we have to understand that conflict. The idea to be joyful is to understand that the Lord is at hand, that all things are happening to you for the good, because he's at, and, and it will all work out for your benefit. You can be joyful and have peace because he's at hand, right? I don't mean to say that he's in your pocket and you can pull him out whenever you want. Just saying he's there with you all the time. Um, okay, so that so the, a good point of this verse back to twenty one is that um, that conflict is evidence of your salvation. That conflict is evidence of your justification, right? Because I find to be a lot that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. When we're new believers, we might be discouraged. We might have doubt because we can't live like good. Christians ought to live, right? We, we have not practiced. We don't have that understanding. Um, they, 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 they might struggle and have doubt that they were ever saved. But again, a good motivation for them to understand is that that struggle is evidence of a change. That struggle is evidence of a newness of life in them. And so that should be uh, an assurance of that change that occurred in them, right? Because they struggle. And they might be weaker. We've just become a little bit better at managing ourselves. And we've been sanctified in the process. And we're growing and growing. But new believers might be discouraged. But the evidence of that conscience, that struggle, is evidence of that salvation in their life. Yeah? Okay, there's more proof. Verse 22 and 23, more proof of that statement. So read verse 22 and 23, if you would. 
For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Right, so it dwells in my members, right? So he, he's, he finds great delight in obeying God, right? Obeying the law of God in his new nature. He gets, he gets charged, he loves it, right? He had a genuine desire to do right and good, as we do too. When we do right and good, there's, a, there's encouragement, there's peace, there's joy, there's a lot going on. Um, however, um, there's a conflict when, when he has this desire, right? As soon, as soon as he saw himself making a commitment to live according to the law of the mind, right, meaning God's will, there came a desire not to do it, right? There's another kind of law working in his members, right, in his inner parts. Um, the law made Paul a prisoner of the law of sin. And it's reigned over him even after being saved. It's reigned over us even after being, sin, or after being saved. Um, it's an internal war and it's continuous. Um, okay, so he then, because of that, even though he has this great desire and wants to do it, the law is at hand with him. Evil is right there with him. So he makes this conclusion, another conclusion. It's like a cry of despair, right? Read verse 24, if you would. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? This body of death, right? <clears throat> so... That's the conclusion we should have. <laughs> like you said, why, what a wretched person. It just comes out like nothing. It's a wretched person, right? Who will deliver me from this body of death, right? This, so this is a repeat of the purpose of the law, the third purpose of the law, right? It's to make one see that you can do nothing, nothing to bring about justification or sanctification. You are a wretched man who will deliver me from this body of death. So he asks, how could he, how would he finally become free of this continuous cycle of, of promise to never sin again and then the failure to fulfill this promise, right? We, we don't, we know we're not under the bondage of sin, yet we still put ourselves under the bondage of sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this nonsense, right? Thankfully, the answer comes in verse 25. Read verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Go ahead. Keep going, Joe. So then my, myself and my mind, am I a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Right. So <coughs> where does the help come from? Who can help me? Where does the help come from? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Help comes to the struggling believer from the Lord. So with the flesh, we can only serve the law of sin, right? Because the sin nature is incapable of serving God under any circumstances. So when we try to live life, the spiritual life, by means of the flesh, right? Then we're going to be guaranteed to fail, Um so if we try to set up a law of which to live, upon which to live our spiritual lives, and then try to live it out by means of works of the law, we will end up sinning more, right? We will end up sinning more, and the desire will end up being greater. 
Um, so there's this law of Christ, right? Um, this law, right? I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So that's in verse 25. So that law of God we would call the law of Christ, that he will, he will call the law of Christ in other places. So you have the law, which is the Mosaic law, which exposes all the sin. Then you have the law of God or the law of Christ. Um, and that's, um, it's, apl it's applicable to Jews and Gentile believers. When you become a believer, you are now under this law of Christ. The, the, the difference between the law of Christ and the law of Moses is the law of Christ has the power for you to do it, right? For you to, to be sanctified, for you to overcome that sin nature. Um, so that's what chapter 8 is about. Um, that chapter 8, it's going to show the means by which we can fulfill the commandments of the law of Christ and, and you know, spoiler alert, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The power of the Holy Spirit within you is the power that allows you or that gives you the ability to follow the law of Christ, not the Mosaic law and not even your sin nature law, but the law of Christ or the law of God. Um, and so that's what we will discuss next time. So the true power for sanctification is not in your will, it's not in your flesh, it's not in your desire, the true power for sanctification is the same power that saved you. The same power that's going to sanctify you moment by moment, day by day, is going to happen by faith. And it's by faith that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and has the power to overcome that sin nature. It's like, you know, you now have a, a battalion of Navy SEALs on your side, right? In this, in this waging war, whereas before it was you and your little shield or whatever, you know, now you have the power of the Holy Spirit. The war is still there, but you have the, the ability to overcome and to win those battles. So that's the solution to the process of sanctification or the process of becoming more like Christ day, daily. Um, it's based upon a position. Right? The position of where you stand. You were under God's wrath and now you're under God's grace. Right? That position is the Holy Spirit indwelling you to overcome that. So that's what we'll talk about next time. It seems like we're closing a good time, so I want to flip to one more passage if we can. Yeah, yeah. We were in four, Philippians four. Uh, I think it's Philippians four eighteen, I'm not there. Um, but we're talking about the idea of like the war waging, and you talked about the you gave the imagery of Satan hand and God at hand, and we're sitting there, but from a practical standpoint, what can we do, right? Because we don't want to be lost in the flesh and do bad behaviors. We want to tap into the power of God. So how do we? Go about doing that, and in Philippians 4, um, Paul gives us a little. I think it's Philippians 4. I'm sorry, I got the glasses. I'm trying to figure out how they work. <laughs> I really progress. So I can't find it. Um, it's Philippians 4. You know the passage I'm talking about? The Think on these things passage. 
I think that's it. That same Philippians yeah. 4, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, um, he's talking about. Eight, four, eight. Four, eight. Four, eight. Finally, yeah. brothers, whatever's true. Yeah, yeah read that. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So that's a specific direction. Uh, what we know about our mind, what I think I know about my mind, not in the medical field, is that I can only think about one thing at a time. Our society talks about multitasking and other things like that, but I can only think about one thing at a time. And so if I start moving in a direction of thought that is unhealthy for me, and I know that I got the devil on one side, God the other, both are at hand, who am I leaning into? If I'm thinking unhealthy, the answer is like I'm moving towards the devil, yeah. and I gotta I gotta do something to tap into the power of God. And so, how do I tap into the power of God? Because I bring nothing to the table for solution. Well, here he says, think on these things. Think on what's honorable. Think on what's pure. Think about what's it. Stop thinking this way. And whether I gotta dive into Christian music, to a Christian podcast, to the Bible, to start praying, to do something. My only responsibility is to start to change the trajectory of my thinking, leaning on these things toward God so that then I can tap into the power of God so that he can have victory in my life. That's so right. That's the only thing I can do is I can say, if I'm starting to think one way, this is going to lead me in the wrong direction where I will be the slave to sin that is my flesh. Right. And I don't have to be the slave to sin anymore. I can live into my sanctification but I gotta, I gotta stop moving this direction and just think on the pure and honorable and excellent things and what God did for that's right. So that's I want to point that out since we were in that passage. No, that's so that's an example of the law of Christ, right? He says, finally, brethren, do these things. Yeah. I mean, that's the law. It's like a commandment that Paul is saying. Do these things, whatever is true. And the verse right before that, right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. So it's a heart and a mind issue. Our hearts are emotions. Our mind is logic, reason, ration. I've got to do this. Because, and generally speaking, if you, if you are telling your heart to think this way, you will start to think that way, to feel that way, right? But if you let your emotions lead the way, your mind will follow that way, right? So emotions are fantastic as long as they support the reason, the faith, the, the, the understanding of what's there, right? As long as they support in that, in that direction, it's not your emotions leading the way, it's your logical conviction of what is true. I can be either with God or I can be with the devil, or I can go in that trajectory. If you're feeling like a temptation or you're feeling frustrated or emotion or whatever, your mind says, go towards whatever things are good, true, holy, lovely, all those things, then your feelings will follow, right? But if you follow your feelings, your mind tends to follow that too. And you justify, you rationalize. We, like I said, we are all professional, professional rationalizers. You know, I mean, Levi, you're just learning how to do it. We've done it for a long time, you know. <laughs> Just real quick, last time yeah. that happened to me, I was in bed till two o'clock, just tossing and turning, playing old tapes, um, anxiety of you know stuff that I you know might have done before I was saved, things that I've done since I've been saved, 
And then my heart starts, thoughts start turning toward a work-related issue that's really caused me some turmoil this week. And I was just filled with such work. And I'm laying there, it's two o'clock in the morning. Like I need sleep and I said, Lord, erase these thoughts. Um, help me to cling, you know, what is true. I don't want to deal with this. But then as soon as I said that, praise and worship song came to my head. Oh, how great. And yeah. and that's how great is our God mm-hmm. sing to me, how great is it? That was what came to my um, mind and I went over and then I fell asleep. Yeah. I don't even remember falling asleep, but Amen. The song came out of nowhere, but it was Holy Spirit. So, so the val- right. I mean, so that's why we study. That's why we know Scripture because we got when we're when we're in the battle, we got to have the verses, we got to have the songs, we got to have those things at the ready. You know, otherwise we're like all over the place. You know, and so it, it the power of God is in His Word. It's a sword of truth, right? I mean, it's a sword, so we got to have those things. Okay, we didn't we didn't end early. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> I, I ended early. I just want to say. <laughs> let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we bow our hearts. Lord, help us to tap into the Holy Spirit. Help us to access the grace you have given to us, Lord, that we would be sanctified on day by day, moment by moment choice. Teach us, O oh Lord, what that means. Teach us, O oh Lord, what it looks like. Your word says to uh, to put all these things, like think think on all these things, be true to these things, be uh, dwell on those things, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all things will be added unto us. Give that on the forefront of our mind. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.